0: Okay, so today on In Awe by Bruce, we're fortunate to once again have author, speaker, self-proclaimed Bible nerd, and founder of Every Life Ministry, Erica Wiggenhorn, on the line. We spoke to her a few weeks ago on her new book, Unexpected Revival, based upon Ezekiel. Today, and I think it's in harmony with revival, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and Erica's Bible study on Acts 1 through 12 called an Unexplainable Life. So, Erica, again, once again, thank you, and welcome to In Awe by Bruce.
1: Thanks, Bruce. It's so good to be with you again.
0: And you too. So tie together for us, Holy Spirit revival.
1: So you can't have revival without the Holy Spirit. It's like saying you're going to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without any Skippy. Uh, you can't do huh. it. You gotta, you gotta have the Holy <laughs> Spirit, right, to have revival. And when we go through the study and unexpected revival, we spend week eight. The entire time in week eight, we look at passages of scripture that have to do with the Holy Spirit and what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit and what he sort of prepped his disciples to expect when the Holy Spirit arrived. And, of course, none of the disciples wanted Jesus to leave. Nobody wanted Jesus to die on the cross and to to ascend into heaven. They wanted Jesus to stay with them, right? But Jesus explained, look, unless I go away, the Holy Spirit cannot come. And so this promise of the Holy Spirit becomes so profound in the lives of the believers and then obviously in our own lives as well. But the reality is, is that for most of us, we can easily fall into the trap of trying to live the Christian life by our own strength, by our own power, by our own resolve. And in reality, following Jesus is meant to be a life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit?
0: I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let me break it down for you then, Bruce.
0: Okay, break, break it down.
1: What does that mean to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? I love this conversation, Bruce, because a lot of times in Christian circles, the Holy Spirit sort of gets placed into a couple of different boxes some denominations we never talk about the holy spirit Mm -hmm. Uh, the only time we talk about him is if we recite the apostles creed or the nicene creed and you know we (laughs) refer to him as a ghost and we're like what right so we don't talk about the holy spirit at all or very rarely And then we have other denominations where the Holy Spirit is known for doing these miraculous works and these incredible things and causing people to speak in tongues and things that some Christians get a little weirded out by, like they don't really understand that. They've never really experienced it in their Christian life. And so the Holy Spirit often becomes what I sort of refer to as the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity, right? Nobody quite knows (laughs) what to do with him. uh, So we just sort of don't talk about him a whole Mm -hmm. lot. Mm -hmm. But yet what's fascinating is when we get to the book of Acts, Luke finishes his gospel. Luke is the author of Acts. Luke is obviously the author of the gospel of Luke. The two books were originally written on one scroll by Luke, and they were meant to be read in tandem. They were not meant to be two separate books when Luke initially constructed them. One was to flow right into the other. Full whole documentary of the life and and purpose of Jesus Christ, and then obviously what life was supposed to look like as a follower of Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. So when you get to Acts... Luke mentions the Holy Spirit 42 times throughout the book of Acts. And so if I were going to name the book of Acts, I would have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit
2: because Mm -hmm.
1: the entire book is all about what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of the believers. And so I called the study an unexplainable life, because when we are operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, as Luke shows us in the book of Acts, our life really does become unexplainable. Mm. Or as I say, can you explain your life apart from God? Or do you live your life in such a way that people go, how do you have so much joy Mm -hmm. How how do you have peace in the middle of this crisis? Uh, How can you be so calm when you're surrounded by chaos? How can you have so much faith that God's going to provide for you? How can you live so generously? How can you forgive so freely after what that person has done to you? It becomes unexplainable unless you can say, well, it's not me. It's Jesus living in me. Mm -hmm. Um, that is what we mean when we say living in the power of the Holy Spirit, an and unexplainable life.
0: And that ties into the revival, because unless that's going on in your heart, right, unless that's going on in your life, revival can't start in any place else but inside of you and each person around us, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and if we could sort of draw a picture of revival, it would almost be like the self is sort of just extracted out of our heart and the Holy Spirit kind of comes and fills up our heart. It's like John the Baptist prayer, right? Yeah. Less of me Yeah. And more of Jesus.
0: Yeah. makes me think too of Paul when he says in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life he right. lives. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So, Erica, heading into the Holy Spirit and talking about the Holy Spirit here, can you get us through some of the myths that are on both sides of the aisle that you were talking about earlier, not talking about the Holy Spirit because of certain things, and maybe going too far, if possible, on the other side of things that might be, the things that stop everybody on both sides?
1: I'm not a theologian, Bruce, so let me just throw that <laughs> But, what but you're am, a
0: Bible nerd.
1: I am a Bible nerd. <laughs> what I'll tell you that really stuck out to me as yes. I studied Acts and I looked at the work of the Holy Spirit, the primary aim, the primary work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts mm-hmm. was to draw people to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the primary act of the Holy Spirit. The secondary act of the Holy Spirit that we see in the second half of the book of Acts is to equip the believers to draw people to Christ. Mm -hmm. So everything that we see about the Holy Spirit always focuses on Christ. Yes. And what's fascinating is when you look at the first half of Acts and you see the Holy Spirit working, what we see is various stories of people coming to belief in Jesus, right? We see Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and his yeah. whole household comes to Jesus. We see the eunuch in the middle of nowhere in a, in a caravan come to Jesus through Philip we see the Samaritans come to faith in Jesus through Philip. We see Jews from all over the world who convened in Jerusalem for the Feast of Shavuot come to faith in Jesus through Peter's sermon. We see the crippled man come to Jesus through Peter and John through a miraculous healing We don't ever quite see people come to Jesus through the work of the Spirit in the same way. Luke Mm -hmm. gives us a very personalized account of how the Holy Spirit operated in each person's life in order to bring them to saving faith. So sometimes it was a miracle. Sometimes it was a supernatural event. Sometimes it was the clear explaining of scripture. Sometimes it was just sort of this fall of the spirit out of nowhere. But it was never the same thing. And I think that's important. Yeah. Because I think the Holy Spirit is not meant to be predictable. He's not meant to be put in a box of our own understanding where we say, this is the Holy Spirit, and this is how he must work, and this is how he must operate, and this is the only way he operates, and that's that. Mm-hmm. He's meant to be mysterious. Yes. And so Luke points out for us how the Spirit does something different in every single conversion story, and I love that. But then when we get to the second half of Acts, we begin to see the Holy Spirit not just work to bring people to repentance, but we see him begin to work in equipping believers. So, we begin to see people like Aeneas, who comes and listens to the voice of God through the Holy Spirit and goes and lays his hands on Saul's eyes and he does a healing. We begin to see the Holy Spirit work through Tabitha or Dorcas, depending on which translation, and you'd see there the Hebrew or the Greek rendition of her name, but mm-hmm. work through Dorcas. And she uses her everyday gifts of sewing and mending. And while she's doing it, she teaches all of the other widows, not just a practical skill, but also the joy and the love of the Lord. And we see the Holy Spirit working through her. And we see the Holy Spirit working through Barnabas, who suddenly feels compelled to go sell a piece of land in order to provide for believers that are in desperate tangible need and we begin to see believers like Lydia she's seeking after God and she's trying to figure out who God is and and the Holy Spirit brings her to repentance and then She's this incredible businesswoman. She has a strong business acumen. She runs a successful business, and God uses her business acumen and the power of the Holy Spirit to become one of Paul's primary funders for his missionary journey. So we begin to see the Holy Spirit work through all of these people in all of these different ways in order for the kingdom to continue to be built up and Mm -hmm. missionaries to be raised up and the gospel to become spread globally. And what we don't realize in the book of Acts is that in less than a dozen years, the gospel of Jesus Christ literally spread through the entire known world. Paul traveled what most scholars have pieced together through mm-hmm. through the book of Acts and through Paul's letters. Paul traveled somewhere between twenty five and thirty thousand miles.
0: jeez that's amazing.
1: Sharing the gospel and of course we know there's there were other people out there sharing too, right? There was Barnabas and John Mark and Timothy, and there were other people out traveling all around and you know there's no cars <laughs> there's no <laughs> Engines on boats, right? Like this is sailing and strutting through the streets, right? This is how the gospel was spread. And so I think where we get hung up with the yeah. Holy Spirit to to really go back to your question, Bruce, okay. is how do we debunk these myths? When the Holy Spirit starts to become about us and starts mm-hmm. to become about authenticating me rather than magnifying Christ, we've missed the purpose of the Holy Spirit.
0: Mm, That's very good. That's nice, simple, and an easy thing to grab onto. What about on the other side, Erica, of somebody who just says, Oh, Erica, I haven't really felt the Holy Spirit moving or showing me anything, and so I'm not even sure what to do.
1: That's such a great question. I want to answer that really with two things, Bruce. The first thing is, is that scripture makes it clear. Paul made it extremely clear that every single believer has been given the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And Jesus promised that as well before his death and resurrection, that the Holy Spirit was going to come and he was going to equip his followers. But Paul tells us that every single one of us, if we have put our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we have surrendered our lives to him and said, he is my Lord, he is my savior, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And when we were sealed with that spirit, a gift, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit was also given to us Mm -hmm. in conjunction with his presence within our lives. And so every believer— Has at least one spiritual gift. And I would be so bold to say that there are many Christians out there who feel as though they are languishing spiritually. They don't feel like they're in a place of revival, their Christian life feels ho hum. They've lost their awe and wonder of God. Their salvation no longer brings them joy. It's just an intellectual thing that they believe that they hold on to for when they die. The Christian that is walking in that journey, I would be so bold to say it's because you have not tapped into your spiritual gift. We were saved to serve and we were saved to serve with our spiritual gifts. And so when we're not exercising our gift, yeah. we're going to languish spiritually because mm. that's what we are meant to do. That's why we're still here is to <laughs> share Jesus. And it's in the operation of our gifts that God puts us in positions and places in order to share Jesus. So every Christian needs to figure out what their spiritual gift or gifts is. Secondly, prayer. Paul gives us a beautiful, beautiful promise in his letter to the Romans, uh, Romans 8, 28. A lot of us have heard it. We've seen t-shirts with it on there. We've got coffee mugs with, with it on there, right? You know, God works all things together for good for those that are love him and are called according to his purpose, right? Mm-hmm. We've heard that. But what we forget is Romans 8:27. And Romans 8, 27 talks about, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And all the Christians say, amen. I never know Mm -hmm. how to pray as I ought, right? I want to know how to pray, but I don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us Mm. with groaning. And God works all things together for good. And the Mm -hmm. two are linked together. So as we become open, as we as our knees hit the floor, as our hands are folded, our eyes are closed, our head is bowed, however you pray, as we become vessels of prayer, the spirit himself is groaning and interceding inside of us as we house him. Right. As we are his temple, he is groaning and interceding inside of us. And as he is doing that. God is working all things together for good. It can't be separated. It mm-hmm. comes through that prayer. And so the Christian who's never praying is never inviting the spirit mm. to work all things together for good in mm. his life or her life. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean God's promise is null and void, but we certainly are missing out on a mm-hmm. tr- tremendous, tremendous calling as believers to have the Holy Spirit groaning and wrestling inside of us for all of God's good plans for our lives to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. So the second thing I would say to the believer is pray, spend time in prayer, figure out how to pray, get a book on prayer, Mm -hmm. walk and pray, pray out loud, pray in your car, Figure out a place where you can just talk to God and in that process, invite the Spirit to be groaning and interceding inside of you.
0: And that's beautiful. That's so true. And let's take it a step backwards then. Here I am. I'm hearing what you're saying. Okay, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to take that on. How do I know or what are some other ways that I'll recognize my gifting?
1: There's lots of resources out there to discover and figure out your spiritual gifts. Lifeway.com has a really great spiritual gifts inventory. If you just go on lifeway.com and you in the search bar, if you put spiritual gifts inventory, spiritual gifts test, something will come up. And you can actually take a survey and sort of figure out what your gifts are. And then the the survey will explain it to you, will give you biblical examples of where we see that gift in action in the Bible to kind of paint it out for you with living color. Or go to your pastor and say, you know what, I, I listened to this podcast with this lady from Arizona talking about the Holy Spirit, and I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Uh, Your pastor can certainly direct you to resources to discover what they are, but find out. Find out what your spiritual gifting Mm -hmm. is, because like I said, if you don't know and you're not using your spiritual gift to help grow the body, you're not going to this vibrant, meaningful Christian life because we're meant to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit as believers. Mm.
0: I'll just tag on one other thing here that, that was helpful for me as a young Christian was, and this is really incumbent on the rest of the Christians, it was people that kept saying, you know what? I really sensed that you'd be good at this, that God is using you this way, right? And one of the keys was was to get out there and serve and help other people and as you did that other people saw what your gifts and abilities were.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because what I will often say Bruce is our salvation is personal. Right? Mm-hmm. Nobody can nobody can do that for us, right? That is strictly between us and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Our salvation is personal. But our call, how God calls us to serve him through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's communal. Our salvation is personal, but our call is communal because the gift is not for us. The gift is for the body of Christ. Uh Uh, The gift is for the purpose of raising up and equipping and encouraging other believers. Uh, And in the process, we experience the abundant life because we're doing what God created us to do. And we see this so poignantly in the book of Acts because in Acts, 7 or Acts 8. I'm not real good with my numbers. I'm a writer, not a banker. But in, in, I... in Acts, Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appears to Paul personally. No one else can hear what Jesus is saying to Paul. It's just mm. he and Jesus, nobody else. And he has his conversion moment. He puts his faith and trust in Jesus, and he realizes Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of God. And that moment, that conversion moment, that salvation moment for Paul is personal. Mm -hmm. But then we fast forward about a dozen years after Paul's conversion. Now, we know he's out serving God. We don't know exactly all that he has been doing. We know he hasn't just been sitting idly by doing nothing. But what we then see in about 12 years later is we see Paul's commissioning. So the salvation, the conversion is personal, but we get to the commissioning, we get to the call, and that's communal. And we see that in Acts 13. And in Acts 13, we see Paul, we see Barnabas, and we see these other leaders of the church all Mm -hmm. together. And in that communal moment the Holy Spirit sweeps in and issues the call upon Paul's life and says, now's the time you're going to go on your first missionary journey. Mm -hmm. And so the call became communal. And that's exactly what you're talking about, Bruce, is as Paul was out there, he was learning, he was serving, he was doing lots of things. And then through that process, the Holy Spirit came and issued Paul's call and said, Mm -hmm. Now, now, you and Barnabas, you're going to go. You're going to go on your first missionary journey to the Gentiles. The time is now. It was communally issued because it was for the purpose of the entire body to grow.
0: Wow. I love the way you make, make so many of the things in my mind. The simple, you simplify them. <laughs> you put them <it> in <laughs> very, very easy to understand formats. Um, So one last question, because I know there's a thousand things that we could talk about and go on to, but one might be that would help people listening. So let's say I'm going along, and and this is something I hear a lot and I've talked to people a lot about, but would like to hear your answer. So somebody looks and they go, okay, I have this gift. Well, geez, it's not like Billy Graham's. It's not like Erica, who's – I'm just this. And you've got somebody who who doesn't think much maybe of what is happening, but you explained some people before that we're in all different levels with Paul and other people. Give some encouraging insight into how to look at that if you don't think you your gift's that big a deal.
1: First of all, if the Holy Spirit is living and operating inside of you, your gift is for sure a big deal. But that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts and what we talk about in An Unexplainable Life and the follow-up study, which is the Unexplainable Church. We see all of these different people and all of their different gifts and how God used every single one of them to help grow his church. You know, I love the story of Tabitha because here is a woman who... She's gathering these widows together who probably felt like their life was over, right? Mm -hmm. They live in a culture where as widowed women, uh, the future looks pretty bleak. Yeah. And she invited them to realize that they could still make a contribution and that their life was still worth living. And I love that Luke tells us. So basically Tabitha's whole story is here's this woman. She gathers all these widows together and they so close. That's her Bible study. They so close. And we're told that when Tabitha died, she died unexpectedly. And Peter shows up on the scene mm-hmm. and they're mourning for their sister Tabitha. They beg Peter to raise Tabitha from the dead. Just think about this for a minute. Did they want to raise Tabitha from the dead? so that she could sew more jackets?
2: Mm Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: Or did they want to raise Tabitha from the dead because her presence had impacted their lives? Yeah. I bet they already knew how to sew now. They didn't say to Peter, would you raise Tabitha from the dead because I really want her to go over with me one more time how to tie that knot.
2: (laughs) Right,
1: When I sew on a button. They missed Tabitha's presence. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's kind of like that old adage, you know, to the world, you may be only one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Mm -hmm. And for these widows, Tabitha was their world. Yeah. And so instead of looking for something out there, ask God for what's right in front of you. What's right here, God? I love what D.L. Moody, who ended up Becoming a global evangelist to Moody Bible Institute, radio ministry all over the world, starting revivals in communities all over the world. D.L. Moody said seminary begins at the kitchen table.
0: Uh, hadn't heard that.
1: And the mama who is changing diapers and washing dishes and making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, some of those mamas have a D.L. Moody Sitting at their kitchen table. They have a Clara Barton who's going to start the Red Cross, right? They have a Mother Teresa who's going to go minister overseas. The greatest ministry that we can do is to the person right in front of us. Mm. And so we have to stop thinking about our ministry the way the world thinks about ministry. And we have to start thinking about ministry the way the Holy Spirit thinks about ministry. and that's to the one who's standing right in front of us.
0: Wow, that is excellent. Great way to end, but I do have to ask you, is there anything else, though, that you feel you need to say or would like to say about the Holy Spirit that would help people?
1: I would like to just encourage people to get to know the Holy Spirit. You know, as followers of of Jesus. We often want to get to know Jesus. Maybe we'll camp out a lot in the Gospels. We'll study what Jesus said, what he did. We want to know Jesus. We want to know God. We think about God in this sort of overarching way, and that's who we connect with as believers. But the Holy Spirit is part of God and part of Jesus, right? The Trinity, Mm -hmm. three in one. And so you can't fully know God if you don't know the Holy Spirit. You can't fully know Jesus unless you know the Holy Spirit. So maybe you grew up in a situation where you really learned very, very little about the Holy Spirit in your church experience. Or maybe you grew up in a church where you felt like the Holy Spirit was sort of summoned as this magic genie (laughs) to do things. and, And it left a really bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. Um don't judge the Holy Spirit by the way Christians have misrepresented him, right? Mm -hmm. If we judged Jesus by the way his followers acted, most of us probably wouldn't want anything to do with Jesus either. (laughs) Uh, So let's just be honest, right, Bruce? (laughs) So get to know the Holy Spirit. Study the book of Acts. Get a copy of An Unexplainable Life if you want somebody to sort of be your guide as you make your way through that passage of Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to introduce himself to you.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Erica, as always, it's fabulous to have you on here. I love it. You are a great Bible nerd. God bless you. (laughs) (laughs) I could use that now. She told me. She told me last time.
1: I own it fully.
0: (laughs) Well, keep owning it, and uh, can't wait to talk to you next time. I know you don't have anything coming up this year. You're pretty much taking this year off, right? Yes, sir. Okay, well, God bless you. Enjoy that, and we'll catch up with you soon.
1: Sounds great. Thank you, Bruce.
0: All right, bye-bye.
1: Bye.